the book of Jeremiah. Uh, we, we were at the literal uh, peak of the book, chapters 37 and 38, where Jeremiah is literally in a pit, and everybody that wasn't here last week didn't get to see it. So that means if you want to know what happened last week, you got to ask someone that was here because we had a whole bunch of technical problems last week because of everything that was going on with the, you know, and of course it's Wednesday night, so it's okay. You know, we get a microphone, you know, it's no big deal, right? You know, uh, that, that's all I need, right? It's, it's wonderful to have the privilege of knowing that not only is this book as we are seeing uh, as it's coming to the worst point in the history of all of Israel. Literally, the walls have been torn down. The, the temple has been destroyed. Uh, the beautiful gold-encrusted uh, utensils that were there in the holy place and the holy of holies are being taken away to a foreign country, uh, Babylon itself. And then the very last king to sit on the throne of David before Jesus Christ sits on the throne during the millennial kingdom is now about ready to be killed. And last week we ended in chapter 39 here. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the last king, the last king, there's going to be no more kings that sit on the throne. It's all going to be governors, Ezra, governor. Nehemiah, a governor. It's always going to be governors until the Romans put on their puppet kings that aren't even really kings. But on the throne of David, from the line of David, there will not be another king to sit on the throne after Zedekiah. It says, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. Those beautiful gates, literally called beautiful. But those gates that were supposed to be the protection of Jerusalem itself, built by Solomon, reinforced by King Hezekiah, are now being torn to the ground. Literally, no stone left on top of another. Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in, sat in the middle gate. All these foreigners are now sitting in the places of judgment over the people of Jerusalem. The remnant of Israel. All that's left of the 12 tribes, except those that have already been taken away into Babylon itself. And I'll let you try and pronounce those names. The rest of the princes of the king of Babylon... So it was that when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them, that they fled and went out the city by night by way of the king's garden, by the gate between the two walls, and he went out by the way of the plain. What is the last king of Jerusalem doing? <clears throat> Turning tail and running. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah and the king plains of Jericho. When they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Verse 
Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. And moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him away to Babylon. The very last thing he sees before his eyes are pulled out of his face. His sons killed before him. The, the legacy, by the way. The, the ones that were supposed to be the next kings. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away the captive by Babel, to Babylon, the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing he gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So, Father, as we approach you tonight, as we come to this section in the Bible that very few people have ever read, very few people even hear sermons about, just the privilege that we have as we walk through the book of Jeremiah to be able to hear these uh, amazing, the, the amazing history of what's going on, not because of um, your hatred for your people, but because of your uh, righteous judgments because of their hard-heartedness, their stiff-necked as they refused uh, to obey you. After hundreds and hundreds of years of prophets coming um, to show that they need to repent and come back to you. And we can look at this, Lord, and we can say, oh, woe is them. We understand ourselves, and I thank you so much for the privileges we reflected tonight on our own lives to see that we too can be just as hard-hearted and stiff-necked as the, the people behind the walls of Jerusalem. And our pride and our arrogance, we don't want to admit that we're sinners, that we need you, our Savior, and we need to come back to you. So, Lord, tonight, help us to see uh, this text as, as something that is applicable to us today so that we would have changed lives, that we wouldn't be the same as when we entered this building. Lord, speak to us tonight your truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we've been going through the book of Jeremiah starting all the way back in uh, December of last year. And We've been going through the Bible on Wednesday nights for probably about 10 years now. And this is one of those um, books that, again, very few people ever study or read. Uh, for one thing, it, you know, there's lots of hard names in here. Uh, for another thing, it's, it's just um, archaic. It's one of those things, we, we start reading a book and then it gets, you know, all these... Um, prophetic, you know, pictures and, and imagery, and, and then we try to figure it out, and we get so far, and then we just kind of either give up, or, or we'll consult a, a commentary or something like that, and if you've ever read a commentary on, you know, a, a book like Jeremiah, it can be very sparse. The, the notes on the bottom of your Bibles are very thin, you see, we're reading a section of the history of Israel that isn't recorded anywhere else in the entire Bible. 
We get to see from the perspective of a righteous prophet what is going on behind the walls as Babylon is surrounding the beautiful city of Jerusalem. And he crying out to them over a 23-year period, repent of your sins, the walls are falling down. And even as we learned last week, he's in a waste pit. In a W-A-S-T-E pit up to his W-A-I-S-T. He's literally sinking into uh, the toilet where they would throw human waste up to his waist. And, And the descriptions in chapter 37 and 38 of how it literally took 30 men to pull him up out of this gunk and mire. And Jeremiah's in there because he told King Zedekiah the truth. And he didn't want to hear it. And so now we see the consequences of that. His two remaining sons are killed and his eyes pulled out of his head. It's horrible. It's horrendous. And we we look at, you know, the Israelites and say, oh, they were just, you know, ignoring the commands of God. And this had happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you were here when we went through the book of Isaiah, and when you're, you know, here, hopefully when we go through the book of Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all the rest of the minor prophets, all these books that every single prophet has exactly the same message. Message. Maybe not the size of 52 chapters like Jeremiah, but the impact is just as deep. Are you going to repent of your sins? And then we reread it and, you know, we say, oh, that's the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to me. And in truth, it, it really is just as relevant or even more relevant than today's, you know, newspaper, if you still read newspapers. You see, if Zedekiah had just listened to the voice of God through the prophet Jeremiah, this would not have happened. God had promised him that. Just like during the reign of King Hezekiah. Exactly the same thing. All he had to do was repent. Hezekiah repents. God turns back this massive army with one single angel. The Assyrian army. The, the, literally the, the warriors of the day. And God turns them back with one angel. Could God have done exactly the same thing if the people had repented? Yes. Verse 11. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. By the way, this is the same Nebuchadnezzar that we're going to read about again in the book of Daniel. Remember, Daniel had been taken away with the um, approximately uh, 15 years earlier during what was called the first exile, okay? And Nebuchadnezzar had come in. He had taken away as a tribute, if you will, the, the like cream of the crop, the, the, the handsome people, literally, it says handsome people in Daniel. The smart people, the, the wise people, the ones that had the ability to learn. If you read the very first part of the book of, of Daniel. And so these were people like uh, Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Misael, whom we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? 
All, all these people that were taken away in the first exile. And then, then there was the second exile. Remember that? That's, we're going to get to that next when we get to the book of Ezekiel. Th these were the blue-collar workers. These were the ones that were, uh, had a skill. These were the ones like Ezekiel. And, and they, they were put on a, a certain area within uh, the kingdom of Babylon. Literally beside a river as they use their skills in the building of uh, Babylon. And now Nebuchadnezzar is pronouncing judgment on literally the last people that are behind the Jerusalem walls. And what does it describe them as? It says it in verse 10 there. The poor people who had nothing. That's all that's left. They're not even worth dragging back to Babylon. These are the worthless people. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he speaks to uh, Nebuzaradan, who's going to be the one in charge of Jeremiah. He gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him and do him no harm. Do to him just as he says to you. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar, Rabsaris, Nergal, Sharez, Rab Mag, the same guys that I didn't pronounce in the first part, and all the king of Babylon's chief officers. Then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. That he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. And do you see what is happening here? Where was Jeremiah the whole time? Where did they have to take him from? The prison. Where did Zedekiah put him? In the prison. They had forgotten about him. The prophet of God, the only one in the whole city that was pronouncing the truth. And they had left him in the prison. And now Nebuchadnezzar comes. He, he brings him out of uh, the prison. He gives him three choices. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. This is the same guy who round up the 30 men that had to drag him up out of the pent. This was the Ethiopian guy, a foreigner, by the way, who was the only one that stood up for Jeremiah when he was in uh, the prison. Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given in the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, just like as he composed that amazing book of lamentation down in the bottom of the pit. God had spoken through Ibed-Melech to Jeremiah, saying, you will not be killed. In fact, I'm going to save you, God is telling him. Can you imagine that? As you're literally in the stinking hole, hearing these words that God has his eyes on you. Wow. And by the way, that's true. 
throughout history. Whether it's Peter, whether it's Paul, whether it's Daniel, it doesn't matter. It transcends time. Does God see the humility of his people? Yes, he does. In fact, at the end of Isaiah, it says he's looking for people that are humble. For I will surely deliver you and you shall not fall by the sword, it says there in verse 18. But your life shall be as a prize to you because you have put your trust in him or me, says uh, the Lord. And it, by the way, did you know last week we didn't even have this stuff on the... We had to actually read from Bibles. It was amazing. I loved it. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. It's amazing to see how the New Testament looks back on the life of Jeremiah. And remember his uh, nickname, right? We learned about that when we were at the beginning. Then he had another nickname later on in the middle of the book of Jeremiah. But, but the real nickname that's not the, you know, the joke nickname is, is the weeping prophet. And it's Jesus who's always compared to Jeremiah because of the way he wept over the city of Jerusalem. Just like it says in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. What does Jesus do the last time as he's coming over that uh, amazing you know, Mount of Olives looking down on Jerusalem what does he do? And as he drew near, by the way, this is right before he walks into Jerusalem for the very last time. The people are going to lay down the palm branches, lay down their cloaks before he's about ready to be crucified. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Just like Jeremiah did. He lamented over them. Despite the fact that he knew he was going to be crucified, he's lamenting over them. Wow. When, when you have such a heart uh, that of unselfishness where, where you're literally thinking of other people more than yourself, as you yourself are about ready to be mocked, betrayed, and crucified. Wow. This was the heart of Jesus Christ saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Just like when we, we read it earlier in the book of Jeremiah, God had purposely blinded them so that they would have to experience the consequences of their sin for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. This is the book of Luke, written some, you know, uh, what it would, be, would it be, 500 and something years later. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? The same thing is going to happen to you that happened in the time of Jeremiah. Because of the same exact attitude. Hard heart, stiff neck, pride, arrogance. They will level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you one stone upon another. Just like we read in Jeremiah. Exactly the same. 
Except for this is going to happen 40 years from this point. In AD 70, when the Romans literally do the same thing that the Babylonians did in 586 BC. The same exact thing. Why? This is the reason. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't recognize the Messiah standing right in front of you. In fact, those same people that are going to lay down their cloaks, put down those palm branches within a couple of days will be yelling out the phrase, crucify him, crucify him. And then, of course, the smallest verse in the whole entire Bible. All of us know this by heart. John 11.35, what does it say? He, he laments. Who is he lamenting for? Not himself. Yeah, he's weeping over the people that are in denial that he is the Messiah. Jeremiah chapter 40. Again, starting now until the end of Jeremiah, this is unique to the Bible. You're, you're not going to find any of this history in any of their parts of the Bible. We, we see a little bit of, of you know, at the end of Second Chronicles, we see a little bit at the end of Second Kings of the downfall of the walls, like we read in chapter 39. But the rest, starting from 40 all the way to 52, is now going to be unique to Jeremiah. What is happening in the land, literally, when there's just a few people left? When Jerusalem is rubble, what is it like to live in the land? We find out in verse 1 of chapter 40, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah, uh, when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, the Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place, even the Babylonians recognized who gave them the city. They recognize it. Who does Nebuzaradan give credit to for the defeat of Jerusalem? Not their army. God. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. Even the heathens recognized it. Even the non-Jewish people recognized that it was God who brought this judgment on his people because they did not listen to him. They knew why. Now look, I free you this day from the chains that were on your hands, speaking to Jeremiah. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you. Wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. You see, Nebuzaradan had, you know, the right or the ability to be able to do whatever he wanted with Jeremiah. He gives them three choices. You can either go with me to Babylon and you're going to be treated like royalty. 
you can stay here in the land with all the others. We're going to find out, you know, almost like a, a Western type environment, every man for himself. Or you can go down to Egypt. What does it say there in verse 5? Now, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. You see, Jeremiah was released from these bronze fetters He's going to either get to choose to remain in the care of Gedaliah, who, by the way, is going to be the governor for a very, very short period of time. Or he can go and do whatever he wants. He can go down to Egypt, where a lot of these people are going to go. It's kind of like as a, uh, a refuge or a, a fugitives, or, or as we see in Russia, a lot of the same things that are happening here, where people are literally fleeing just running away. And most of the people are going to be doing that. Or he could have gone to Babylon. You can go and meet Daniel, right? But what does he do? It's the same thing that we should always do. He asks God. And Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. When all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and had committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land, who had not been carried away captive to Babylon. Then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, and Jonathan, the sons of Kariah, and Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the sons of Ephi, the Netophathite, and Jazaniah, the son of Makathite, they and their men. And we read these words and we have no clue what they mean. Just like someone, you know, and I always use this, I love using this illustration of a person that comes to Bakersfield, right? And you say, oh, I'm going to go up to Tatchby. And most people don't say that. They'll, they, they try to pronounce the word, you know, and they mangle it, of course. I lived in Tatchby for a long time, so it's okay. Or, or Arvin or Taft or all these other places. We know where they're at, right? We, we know, you know, if you've lived here for any time, you know, where these places are in general. And it's the same thing with cities, you know, during the time of Jeremiah, during the time of the writing of the Bible. And it's the same thing with names too, by the way. They, they knew the names of these people. They could pronounce them. And so for us to try to, you know, pronounce these uh, names, these were important people in the time, despite the fact that they were just over the poorest of the poor. The, these would have been uh, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of government officials that were put in charge. And again, these, this just a governor, okay? It's not a king. 
It's a person that was put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar to somehow wrangle all these poor people that are left in the land. Kind of as placeholders for if they decide to come back or as a buffer zone. We've heard a lot about that even in the news of our day. And when all the captains of the army who were in the... Excuse me, I already read that part. I don't want to read those names again. Verse 10, as for me, I will dwell, indeed dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit and oil and put them in your vessels. Dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites in Edom and who were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah... And they had set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. What is happening here? All the Jews that had ran away and were literally living in caves or, or some sort of, you know, uh, places in, in the wilderness without any form of, of, of protection or government. They hear that there's now a, a Jewish governor, the Babylonian army has left. And what do they do? They literally come out of the woodwork. They, they come out of those rural areas and they come to this area to be led by Gedaliah. And where do they come from, by the way? Ammon, Moab, and Edom. That's what it says right there. We're going to see these uh, countries in just a little bit. Uh, I, I want to just put it before you that these are literally the descendants of Abraham's relatives. E Edom. Who were uh, the Edomites? Where did they come from? The twin brother of Jacob. The, the twin brother of Israel was named Esau. And, and the Edomites were descended from Esau. Okay? The people with red hair, right? They were great hunters. This is where some of the Jews had gone to. Or, or Ammon and Moab. And this is where Dino was, you know, saying. They, they were from, yeah. And, and, you know, he had a double role in this. He was their grandpa and their dad at the same exact time. I'll let you think about that. The Ammon and Moab, the descendants of Lot. These were the distant relatives of Israel that the Jewish people had gone to as sort of, you know, running away. They hear that Gedaliah is the governor and they come running back. They pick all this, you know, um, summer fruit that had just kind of come up, you know, it hadn't been... The land hadn't been tilled or anything like that. There, it was just the leftovers of everything that was on uh, the vineyards. Verse 13, moreover, Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to uh, Gedaliah at Mizpah and said to him, Do you certainly know that Balas, uh, the king of the Ammonites, had sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? 
But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, did not believe him. Then Yohanan, the son of Kariah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah and Mizpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Yohanan, the son of Kariah, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. By the way, where have you heard the word Ishmael before? Yeah. It's Abraham's firstborn son by his handmaiden. 13 years older than Isaac, right? Now, this should clue you right away. Uh, and and he, he's a, a Jew. He's a full-blooded Jew descended from, you know, the line of David, but in, you know, not the, the kingly part. He had kind of was an outcast. But, but his name clues you in right away. This is even a Jewish name. This is the name of the man who was the one who was literally uh, the father of all the enemies of Israel. This was the one who was named in such a way that literally all those descendants from the line of Ishmael would hate the line of Isaac and the Jews, even to this day, by the way. And he's taken on this name. He is aligned with the Edomites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites. And of course, Gedaliah doesn't believe that he could ever assassinate him. And by the way, this is just like the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, every man doing right in his own eyes. You know, the, I, I, love, I love the book of Judges. It's what got me into, you know, uh, reading the Bible. It, it's so full of action. And this is what's happening now. Literally, it, it's the Old West. Gunfights without guns, you know. Assassinations taking place. Every man for himself, doing what was right in their own eyes. Calling good evil and evil good. You see, the reason why this is happening is because there's no strong godly leadership. Every person is just doing what is right in their own eyes. Chapter 41, it continues on. Now it came to pass in the seventh month, that seven months after Babylon has conquered Jerusalem, that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family and of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and there they ate bread together in Mizpah. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men uh, who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, again, showing his loyalty. That is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. You see, Gedaliah had only been governor for seven months. 
And there's already a change of leadership. Wow. And, and Ishmael does this in literally cold blood. Now we're going to see who's behind it in just a little bit. This wasn't Ishmael's idea. He's going to align with a, a, another nation, another faction. But the reason why he's doing this is to sow chaos. It's to cause disorder amongst the remnant, amongst those that are left. This governor is going to be assassinated, killed in order to sow chaos in the land. And we're, we're, we're going to see the spiritual forces here, but why, why does chaos form? Who's behind chaos, by the way? We, we just finished uh, the men on Monday nights. We just finished going through the spiritual gifts and we learned that every single one of the spiritual gifts, it doesn't matter which one, whether it's administration or, or healing or mercy or hospitality, whatever the spiritual gift is, every single one of the spiritual gifts has a, a single goal. It's always to create order in the church, to build up the church, to, to create unity in the church. And if one of those gifts, it doesn't matter which one, it doesn't matter which one, if any of those gifts causes chaos, is it from God? No, it can't be by definition. And this, this is what's happening now in this, you know, Old West area or the time period in the nation of Judah, which is no longer a nation. What is, what is happening here? Chaos is being sowed. This governor has been assassinated. Two days later, it says there in the very next verse, in verse 4, and it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. This is the northern part of Israel, what was uh, Israel proper before it was conquered by the uh, Assyrians. Eighty men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offering and incense in their hand to bring to the house of the Lord. Why had they shaved their beards? I, I had the privilege of going to Israel in um, 2020, right before covid And on the plane there, the Jewish men, none of them, by the way, are clean-shaven. <clears throat> they, they ask each other, what time is it, what time is it, what time is it? And the reason why they ask each other is because they want to you know, worship God at a certain time. Or, or when you go to the wailing wall and literally they're rubbing their beards on the wailing wall. Again... All the men that can grow a beard have beards. Why are these men beardless? There's only one reason why they would shave their beards. They're mourning. The destruction of Jerusalem. That they're literally, their clothes are in tatters. As they've ripped their clothes in mourning. Why? The temple has been destroyed. That beautiful temple that King Solomon built. 
is destroyed. No place to worship. No altar. For 70 years, there's going to be no place for the people of Israel to worship God. And this is foreign to our thinking. Way foreign to our thinking. Oh, we can worship God anywhere. No. They worship God in one place. Because they knew where God dwelt on earth. It was the temple in Jerusalem. That's where you go. See you next year in Jerusalem. Always the same. And they're in mourning because now for the first time in the history of Jerusalem since King Solomon himself, there, has never, there is now no temple for them to go to. These 80 men, they're coming, they're mourning, and what do they do? Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out to Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, come to Gedaliah, the son of Iacham. Again, chaos, deception. <clears throat> These 80 men are going to be taken to a slaughterhouse. So it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit, he and the men who were with him. But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, do not kill them among their brethren. Now, or, or, excuse me, but ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, do not the men, excuse me, do not kill us for we have treasures of wheat, barley, and oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and, and did not kill them among their brethren. Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made of fear of Basha, king of Israel. This is another story from a long time ago. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, and all all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, and Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. Where is he running to? Amon, the Ammonites. These are the descendants of Lot. You can even go to a place today called Amon in exactly the same area approximately. It's literally right across the Jordan River. What we call the nation of Jordan today. Why is Ishmael taking all these captives across the Jordan River to Amon? They're trophies. Look at all these people that I'm bringing with me. You see, the Ammonites, they, as we're going to see in just a little bit, descended from Lot. Not from his wife, but from his daughters. This is how he became their grandfather and their father at the same exact time. It's horrible. These were the people that wouldn't let Israel go through them when they were escaping from Egypt. 
These were the ones who were the ites that they had to clear out from the promised land. These were the Ammonites who literally would fight against the Israelites over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And what are they trying to do to the remnant of Israel? Slaughter them. Eradicate them. Kill every last one. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Same thing goes on even today. But when Yohanan the son of Kariah and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had done, they took all the men and they went to fight with Ishmael the son of Nethaniah and they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. Uh, so it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Yohanan, the son of uh, Kariah, and all the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. Then all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around, came back, went to Yohanan, the son of uh, Kariah. Uh, but Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from uh, Yohanan with eight men and went to the... Ammonites, thank God for the providence of God. What happens? The, the last remnant that are in the land, uh, they're saved. The, these captains of the forces you know, muster up this you know, makeshift army. They go after them and they chase Ishmael and eight of his men to the Ammonites. By, by the way, these numbers are so tiny. This is literally a remnant. If you've ever read, you know, the book of Exodus, where literally millions and millions and millions of Israelites come out of Egypt, and now you're down to tens, nothing over a hundred is going to be said. Literally just tens and tens of people left. The downfall of this once great empire that was the pinnacle of, of the world during the time of David and King Solomon is now reduced to a remnant. I'll let you look, guys look at Genesis 19. I don't want to read that part, but you can, you can look at Genesis 19 for the, uh, the origin of the Ammonites and the Moabites. Then Yohanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the mighty men of war, and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem. Thank God that it tells us where it's near, because I would not have known where that is. As they went on their way to Egypt. Because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them. Because Ishmael, the son of Nephaniah, had murdered Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. And again, you know, cities, names, all these things. I, I do have a, it's not a great picture, but uh, a, a uh, some sort of a map. Uh, thank you, John, for, uh, by the way, John's here this week. That's why everything's working, okay? 
Um, but but this is a just a, a hopefully a, a, yeah I can see it on here. So uh, basically, in the upper right hand corner uh, is the uh, the uh, the Sea of Galilee there, and then you have Amon on the it would be on your right hand side there. Uh, on the east side, this is modern day Jordan, and the other cities are all on the Israelite side, okay? Uh, so basically, uh, Jeremiah has been taken up to Mizpah, that's where he's released, he hasn't even left Israel yet, uh, and then he meets, you know, uh, Gedaliah, and they slowly start to make their way south, we're going to find out next week that they're going to take him, this new group of people, to Gaza and Beersheba, and they're going to try and make their way to Egypt. And the reason why they're doing this is because Egypt is the only uh, real nation, I guess you could say, that has not been able to withstand, has been able to withstand the Babylonian army. And so thinking of security, this remnant is slowly making their way to Egypt. And of course, we just read that God has told them not to go. Jeremiah has told them not to go. And you know, I'm going to let you have a little bit of homework. You can read ahead. Uh, Jeremiah is not going to go willingly. They're, they're literally going to have to bind him up to take him to Egypt. Because as Nebuzaradan has given him this freedom to be able to stay in the land. What is happening with the nation of Israel? Where are they going? Back to Egypt. What were they like in Egypt? They're slaves. So hopefully, and, and you know, uh, if you, you can, whether you're reading in the future or something like that, you can kind of just either um, pull this up or, or watch this one little part here. And, and you can see kind of like a, um, a map of the words and the chapters and all that kind of stuff, kind of get a, you know, image of where all this is taking place. Because we can get confused, especially, you know, People that have never been there, you know, we can get confused. And we, we can, you know, try and guess or picture where these places are. And it's really good to have a, a visual, you know. And, and literally, they're going from Israel to Egypt. That's where they're going. The, the last remnant of the people of Israel are going back to where they came in the book of Exodus, way, way, way back. And they're going back to the people that had once enslaved them. We're going to end it here. I, I you know, want to go into 42, but I, I just want to kind of, you know, just understand uh, this topic of um, relevancy. Because again, we can read this uh, book and say, it has, I have no clue what they're saying, or I have no idea what's going on. And, and we can say, oh, that, that happened, you know, some 2,500 years ago. But can we be just as hard-hearted? Can we be just as backslidden? Can we be just as rebellious and proud and arrogant?
as the people of Israel? Do we listen to the word of God? Do, do we obey the word of God? And that's what we should do even today. So I pray that for you tonight. Let me bless you. Dear Father, I thank you so much for these. My friends and my family, I ask you bless them tonight. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to meet with, with people that love to know you better. My brothers and sisters in Christ that, that love you with all their hearts, willing to even give up a, a Wednesday night to be here after a long week already or, or even a long day and, and all the stresses of this world and then to come and and to be able to read a, a section of an Old Testament book. Lord, let it be something that speaks to us, that is living and active. As Jeremiah quotes of your own word, that it is a hammer that breaks apart the hardest of hearts. And Lord, help us to sit before you, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, that we would sit before you before we forget about these words and really let them sink into our soul, that we would examine our own lives, Lord. Am I promoting chaos? Am I, am I promoting something that would cause uh, a division or, or am I promoting truth and unity in the body of Christ where our desire is to grow closer to you to encourage uh, those that may have backslidden to bring back those that are hurting to encourage and exhort those that may be in need or have fallen into some sort of an addiction again Lord, I ask that you would use us for your glory, that we would not be hard-hearted and stiff-necked, that we would have pliable hearts that are easily moldable to your will. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to come to you with open doors. Know that you hear us. Know that you see us, Lord. I ask you bless these, my friends, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.